0: Cade Mila Folta, welcome to the Letter from Ireland show, where we travel in the footsteps of your Irish ancestors, visiting their homelands and telling their stories as they put down roots in so many places around the world. Welcome to the Letter from Ireland show, series two, episode four in the show. We like to visit the places of your Irish ancestors and bring their stories to life. Before we start, do remember any resources or references we mention in this episode, you can find those in the show notes at a letter from Ireland.com forward slash 204. They say that in Ireland we have what they call the gift of the gab, meaning that we're a great nation of talkers. The tradition of storytelling, poetry and composing in verse is part of the fabric of us Irish. But there are some of us, I have to admit, that are a lot better than others when it comes to the ancient bardic tradition of verse making. Not everybody has the gift of poetic speech. But today in the Letter from Ireland show, we're going to meet one talented man who embodies all these ancient crafts, making him a true modern day Irish bard. So, would you like to hear more about our Irish bard? Well, why not kick off today's show with a letter called an Irish bard? A while back on the letter, I mentioned specific family surnames that were associated with old Celtic professions. Among the surnames mentioned, we had Ward and Shields, which were both Irish bardic surnames in days gone by. These bards underwent seven years of intensive training and were in great demand from the Irish chieftains of the time. The job of the bard was to recite the events of the day in verse, and these epic poems were delivered in front of a live audience at the court of the chieftain. The poems both praised and pillared many of the people present and commented on great battles, marriages and births. In those days long ago, before mass print, TV and social media, the bards and the storytellers, they must have performed a very necessary service, recording these significant events in a manner both entertaining and memorable. Well, a while back in Skibbereen in West Cork, Mike and I met a modern day bard who carries on this ancient tradition. And you might be surprised to hear that he is still very much in demand in a particular setting. Two old names of Ireland and one modern-day bard. Do you know many Irish boys' names? Maybe you have a Patrick or Brendan, Kevin or Kieran in your family. These are all old Irish saints' names, and they're still much in use around the world today. Another name, although rarely seen outside Ireland, is Cormac. This was a name used by many ancient kings of Ireland, and it generally translates as son of the charioteer. So a nice fighting name there. The bard I wish to introduce you in today's show has this first name of Cormac. Now let's move on to his surname. There is a whole class of Irish surnames beginning with Mull, such as Mullowny, Mulhall, Mulholland, and Mullally shortened sometimes to Lally. Maybe you have a surname like this in your own family tree. Readers of the letter from Ireland and members of the Green Room will be familiar with our modern day bard with the name of Cormac Lally. And today listeners to the letter from Ireland show you are going to get to meet Cormac Lally and hear some of his wonderful bardic verse. We asked Cormac to compose a poem in honour of our green room gathering last summer in Skibbereen County, Cork. And like any good bard, he wanted names, places, as well as a few things that might mildly embarrass some of the attendees. And I promise we'll hear more of what he wrote later. You might be surprised to discover that Cormac has uncovered a new avenue of work for the modern day 21st century Irish bard. Cormac is nowadays in great demand to compose best man speeches in verse for weddings. Best man speeches in verse. Now, there is a way of maintaining demand for our traditional arts. So for the rest of the letter, let's look at Cormac's background in his own words. Cormac Lally. I was born in Tullamore in 1979. I was raised in Church Street in the heart of the town. We played on the street between the white rails of the old library and the black rails of the Methodist church and in each other's gardens. Tim Smolin's bus took us to Balnamir National School where Larry Fleming taught us the important things in life. Poetry, theatre, history, sport, kindness and open-mindedness. Have you noticed how Cormac has that way of mentioning people and places in his writing? This was always an essential part of bardic entertainment. Modern day Irish bards love to express the beauty of the everyday, the universal truths that surround us and the never-ending circle of life, love and death. There is a poem of Cormac's about his mother simply called Ma'am. This poem is taken from Cormac's book Scribbles, Dribbles and Homegrown Nibbles. Don't you just love that title? Perhaps we'll go now to Cormac and hear it in the poet's own voice. Welcome, Cormac Lally, to the Letter from Ireland show. And it's great to have a real live bard here today with us.
1: Hi, Corina. Thanks for having us.
0: I hope you don't mind, Cormac, but I'd like to jump straight in and ask you to recite that wonderful poem about your mother. You know the one? I do. Called? The Mab. Which I fell in love with when I first heard you recite it at the Saturday Market in Skibbereen. It brings to mind my own mother, and I'm sure as our listeners hear it, they'll be remembering their own mothers too. So, off you go, Cormac.
1: Ma'am. You carried me in your belly through 78. Delivered in January, an Aquarian date. You nourished me, filled me, taught me and skilled me. Dressed me, impressed me. Tried hard not to kill me. Cajoled me, consoled me with an oak spoon you'd scold me. Stories of granddad at bedtime you told me. Tore my knees running. Your arms, they'd enfold me. You commune me, confess me, confirm me and bless me. For junior and leaving sir tests, you rehearsed me. All the times I was lost, you searched till you found me. Flying too high, you'd catch me and ground me. If you knock up a girl, your father will pound thee. To thine own self be true, your advice, it was soundly. Now, ma'am, I'm a dad and my life has been blessed. And your words channel through me like I am possessed. I keep my baby like cards. So close to my chest. There is none like your mother. You brought out my best.
0: That's beautiful. Thanks so much, Cormac, for that. Mam is just one one of your poems, isn't it, from your book, Cormac? It is, yes. Um, and do you know, when did you first discover, Cormac, that you had a way with words? Um, my m-
1: mam has a poem that I wrote when I was five, and... It was all English and language was always something that was very came very very naturally to me I was a a high achieving reader I was reading at a very high level when I was four or five I was reading books for young adults really at six and seven um but it wasn't until I got to Ballymere school where we poetry was developed in each of us so we had a mighty teacher Larry Fleming
0: who you mentioned earlier, yes, mentioned Larry earlier in, Fleming. In the intro, yeah, yeah.
1: The, it can all be traced back to, to our to Larry. <laughs> to Larry Fleming in 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 Clara and County Office. But Larry was our principal in Banlamir. So every Wednesday night the whole class had to write a poem and read it on Thursday morning. Oh my. So there was like you think there was thirty eight teachers or the thirty eight students in the class. So the whole morning up until half past ten, would have been starting on one side of the class, where each student would stand up, read their poems, and the best one got into uh, what Larry called the book. Okay, so, so you had so a book. <laughs> the, so the four or five best poems out of the whole class every week would go into the into the into this book, and it was a really great honor to get a piece into it. You know, uh, Larry's a very, still a very very good friend of ours. Like, and he told me years later that the Wednesday the doing the poem on the Wednesday night also. It uh it uh corresponded with he used to play music in a with a trad band in Gussies in Ballycumber on a Wednesday night and he often wouldn't get out of the <laughs> pub until two o'clock on a school <laughs> night and th- thirty eight children reading poetry was a grand way to get through the morning. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but lucky for you, Cormac, it gave you a great grounding and uh, developed your your skill that you had there intuitively.
1: Yeah, and it, and it wasn't until Larry, until being in fifth and sixth class in Ballinamur, that that's when it kind of really hit me. I, this was something that I was able to do better than anything else, and it was. Uh, and when you go into school, when you we had Larry say, from fifth and sixth class, and then you're on into kind of first year in secondary, in, in secondary school <laughs> or high school, yeah. or whatever it's called, um, and it kind of took a backseat then, but the. The, English, my, the subjects of, of English and language and things like that, these were always the strongest... Uh, subjects for you. A- academical, mm. ...academic stu- uh, studies for me. Um, I was also very good at my hands woodwork and metalwork, but uh, academically, I was useless at maths, uh, and I was always just above average. And when I applied myself, I, I was very, very good at, at English and understood English, and I was able to understand where people were coming from in their poetry and liked the poetry and I liked the storytelling and this all r- really resonated with me, say from the ages of, of 10, 11 up to 12 when I went into school. And I think that Larry Fleming gave us all uh, a look at poetry, that poetry just wasn't for school books or yes. for learning, That that there is a poem in everyone.
0: Well, he certainly brought some out in you, Cormac, and you know that book that you've written, uh, Scribbles... Dribbles, Dribbles. Homegrown
1: Nibbles, yeah. yeah. Fantastic. A clatter of poems. A
0: clatter of <laughs> poems. <laughs> Fabulous. Um, do you feel that being Irish, and I know now you live in West Cork, having been born in County Offaly, yes, do, do you feel that informs your, your poetry or your, your verse?
1: Um, I think that there's poetry in everyone, and there's poetry everywhere, but... Um, you can find, you know, you can find your inspiration in the cities, or you can find, you know, you can, you can find inspiration, or you can be inspired anywhere. But I really find uh, being down in West Cork, and uh, being in Skibbereen, there seems to be just a great big pool of people of creative people who are all in their own ways trying to develop their own art or develop their own performances, whether it's music or 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 painting or photography. There's a massive pool of people down here to, to bounce your stuff off and to get to know, and it is. There's a more highly concentrated uh, population of artists in in West, West Cork, Cork than there is anywhere else in the world per capita. Say, like you could have a lot more people say living in Berlin, but the per capita of say poets to your random Joe Soap yes. is a lot lot higher down in in West Cork mm. as as it is for artists for. People who are writing novels, I must say, documentary we, makers. We
0: found the same thing when we were living there that it, it, it was so easy for us to fall across people like we did you, even just yeah. in the on the market on the Saturday. And you know, you were telling us a bit uh, about your best. Ma- I mentioned it earlier, the best man yes. speeches, which you know what is that an equivalent of what the bard would have done at the <laughs> chieftain's feast long ago?
1: Well, it, uh, it it would have been it would have been a part of it for for weddings there would have been pieces written for celebration so you'd have to celebrate the bride the, bride, the bride's family the groom the groom's family the deeds of the of, of both families and you would have to you would have to you would basically have to give them a, a massive send off this would have been part of the this would have been part of the the ceremony this would have been part of the of, of the wedding itself that these stories, and there could be a bard from the bride's side, and there could be a bard from the groom's side, but the night would be, would be given over then, once the formalities of the wedding would be over, the feast would begin, and at, at different points in it, the bards would be called on to extol the virtues of, of the bride, her family, her ancestors, and the groom, then his family and his ancestors, and how many bulls they had, and how many acres <laughs> they have here. And it would have got in. I suppose it would be nearly like a rap battle, you know, a modern day rap battle where they're trying to get one man one up one up one up man on 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 each the other. other while keeping it entertaining and uh, keeping it full of kind of metaphors and things that you know you're not sure was that a was that a was that, a, was that a, an insult or was that a a, a, a praise <laughs> like. And no,
0: that's the, that's the real skill, isn't and it? That's In the, that first and that's making. the real
1: skill is to, you know, is, is to be able to insult, insult someone, <laughs> not let, have them know that they're been insulted and they go away laughing at themselves. And that just, was just one part of it. But the but the oration, the Irish history, that was all passed down, like you said, before there was mass, uh, mass printing or, or printing. TV or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. We are an uh, island of oral history. That everything was handed down before the books were written, every story was passed down from the eldest to the youngest, and it was all done by. Uh, it was all done in the oral tradition. Well, and
0: that puts it perfectly, Cormac. Thank you so much for that, and that segues nicely into our next section. And I would like to chat now with you, to you about a particular poem that Mike and I commissioned you for. Sure. When Mike and I were looking for a special gift to present to Jim Purcell, our member of the year in the green room, we were inspired, and I really mean inspired, when we tasked Cormac Cormac Lally here with putting Jim's ancestral story to verse. We were thrilled with the end results, as indeed was Jim and his extended family. And, you know, it's no small feat to marshal hundreds of years of family history into verse. But that's exactly what you did, Cormac, wasn't it? With, that's exactly, yeah. <laughs> for well, Jim.
1: I don't know if that's exactly, but uh, <laughs> as close to that as we As, as we you could, yeah.
0: You, you put that uh, family verse together for Jim Purcell and, and his extended family. Now, listeners are in for a treat because I've asked Cormac and he's promised that he'll recite this Purcell family history in verse for us here on the Letter from Ireland show. So, Cormac, take a deep breath and it's over to you.
1: The Purcells. Hugh Purcell came to Ireland in 1169. The name translated literally to mean herder of swine. The world was in the throes of crusades and holy wars when Strongbow took the notion to invade these Irish shores. The King of Leinster overthrown by one Rory O'Connor. So the King contracted Strongbow to reinstate his honour. There was battles up the country. There was verse and ballads sung for the Purcell's Irish family ladder. This is its starting rung. Now Hugh Purcell himself was a diplomat tactician. New peace could be implemented through marriage of tradition and violence, rape and murder unnecessary in his head. If his son could meet a princess and get her into bed. Now, as it happened, by coincidence, Tipperary at that time was absolutely terrorised by a pair of massive swine. A boar and sow so bloodthirsty, they ravaged crops and man. The local king, despairing, offered up his daughter's hand to the knight who'd end the torment of these wild and bloody beasts. Says he, I'll make no promises, but I'll have a go at least. So Purcell picked his finest arrows, restrung his faithful bow, took leave of his countrymen into the forest he did go. And stalking through the woods, he caught the boars at rest and riddled them with arrows till hearts were found in breasts. Triumphant, he returned with blood upon his sword, and that's why Lochmore translates as The Field of the Reward. And the reason Purcell's crest bears four boars instead of two, we'd have to guess embellishment in the pub. After a few. So young Purcell and the princess were wed within the year. Dug foundations, drew up plans and settled down right here. Now the castles that these Normans built were technically defensive. But Lockmore though, has none of these, though quiet and height extensive. Which would make a man to wonder, was it luck or was it love? That the locals never looted once when come to push and shove and widely were respected, needing not to be afraid, as long as all their tithes and taxes were dutifully paid. So we now pick up the story around 1651, with the birth of Nicholas Purcell, Colonel James's eldest son. He fought with gallantry and bravery at the Limerick and the Boyne, saw his brother slaughtered by King William's cannon swine. He advised King James himself, but stayed here in defeat, when the wild geese took to Europe, and Cromwell claimed the seat. Staunch Catholics, the Purcells, evicted by the Church of England when refusing to swap religions and convert, but through a canny marriage to the butlers of Ormond, they claimed back all the lands they lost, once more on solid ground. This butler girl he married was a catch with lots of land, a noble maid of Ormond with a bearing high and grand, The couple then met tragedy, their only infant son he died, dropped in a vat of boiling water that was cooking up inside. The last baron popped his clogs in 1723, all the land fairly divided between his female family. And from here it gets quite hazy. Details are rare and slim. I suppose we'll have to wait for more digging done by Jim. Then up pops Edmund Purcell, Date of birth unknown. He marries Ellen Carr, on the census it is shown, that they had half a dozen children, sure that was surely plenty, including great-great-granddad Patrick, who was born in 1820. Then pestilence and famine came in 1845. Patrick left for America, with Mary Nesbitt, his new bride. They settled outside Pottsville, in Pennsylvania State, working as a tailor, putting food upon the plate. Edward, born in 46, and John in 1850, they prospered there in Pottsville with merry wife so thrifty. Until the smell of civil war came creeping across the state, and Patrick, John, and Edward volunteered and cast their fate. All three survived the carnage of that bloody awful time, settling in quiet peace to try and earn the dime. Time passed then, and Edward, he married a young Jane, a Fleming girl who bore for him a son who they named James. James, our great-grandfather, then married Eva Fisher, a pretty young bookkeeper which ensured a family fisher. For Eva, she was German and World War I was nigh, but love prevailed and politics couldn't keep her from her guy. When peace was finally restored and things then settled down, they reared themselves a family outside of New York town. A fertile coupling produced... Four big strapping lads, who then all went on to marry, themselves becoming dads. Edward married Gladys Billing, or Aunt Billy, as she's known. Jack met Elizabeth Langton from the Kilkenny side of home. Andrew married Myrna Iglesias, a Puerto Rican lass, so we've Spanish-speaking cousins now, which in itself is gas. But our dad, James, was canny, and married I can't well. Rita was her first name, and they got along real well. Her family ran a speakeasy through prohibition times, when the drinking of all liquor, funnily, became a crime. They ran a boarding house in the Catskills of New York, providing city dwellers with lodgings, cup and fork. And It was there we cut our teeth every summer in the trade. We started in the kitchen first, where all the meals were made. From there we'd get promoted to even tending bar, where we'd listen to the stories as they flowed over a jar. Nana Cantwell was a Rogers whose parents hailed from tip, left their home in hard times and came here on a ship. Joe and Ethel Cantwell gave us love and knowledge, not exactly now the lessons that they teach to you in college. We've roots that follow bloodlines of Irish history. Our story follows heartbreak, joy and misery. We've relations in the thousands and cousins now galore, connected and respected on many foreign shores. So until we dig much deeper and probe the genealogy well, that's just about everything we have on the Purcells.
0: Well, Cormac, that was powerful. Thank you very, (laughs) very much. I'm sure our listeners are going to be feasting on that for a while. You know, such a complex uh, poem how do you go about getting all that together
1: Um this when uh, when you guys asked me to do this, I wasn't sure about how I was going to to go about it. Like I would have a, a kind of a strict format there that of when I'd have a, a best man or a bride or a groom,
0: if it was the best man speeches. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
1: So I tried to I took the same format that I would use for creating the pieces I would use for the weddings and I applied it to this. But this is a lot more complicated than um, a best man speech or a bride speech. This is people's family history. And you have to approach it with as an artist and as a as a I suppose as a on the spot historian, which I had to become when I got to know Jim. Yes. And it was it was the back and forth then between myself and Jim that he was able to provide me then with the family with the legs of the family trees that he wanted of the most kind of influential ones in his family and then it was to hear his oral tradition and to get a sense of what he was like as a person and what these stories meant to him and that's what we were trying to capture in it that it, it isn't just a history lesson you know a dry
0: a, lesson with a, the facts kind of and, yeah, with the yeah, facts and yes. figures
1: there's, there's a lot of gray area in people's lives, like and there's some stories that will never make it into a poem, like uh, like uh, old shames and old, you know, you could have a murder in the family two hundred years ago or something like this. Yes, but to try and and take the p- most positive aspects uh, of their history of those stories and weave that into an actual genealogy uh, footprint from the earliest times that they know of their family history right up until the modern time and to make it as relevant today uh, in the bardic tradition as it was four or five hundred or a thousand years ago uh, for the for the chiefs or whoever it was who had commissioned you to write these pieces back then we're trying to bring that now right back into the 21st century and, and 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 marry these two the old tradition of the of of the bardic recitation and put it into a modern context context for people.
0: Well, when we stumbled across you, Cormac, uh, back in uh, in Skibbereen a good few months ago, and I think it was Mike that got the idea of providing the member of the year in our green room with this wonderful history and verse. I actually never thought that it would give birth to such wonderful poem and I think it's quite unique product now that you've uh, developed really here. And people, I suppose, that would be interested in their own family histories and putting it to verse for posterity and for their children and grandchildren. They need to have a little bit of work done in the background, know their family lines and the maybe the family line that they really want to follow through and provide you with with the, the, the history. And then you, as you say, weave it into the poem. So I think you've done a fine job there for Thanks, Jim. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Cormac, for sharing it with us on The Letter from Ireland show. You're
1: very, show. very welcome, Korean. Thank you very much for having me again.
0: Well, sad to say, that brings us to the end of our fourth episode on Series 2 on The Letter from Ireland show. And what a show it's been. I do hope you've enjoyed our chat with the Irish bard. I certainly did, Cormac Lally, and hearing some of his wonderful verse. And I look forward to having your company again with us next week. Many thanks to Cormac for sharing those words with us today. And you know, it isn't every day we get an Irish bar to recite poetry for us here. A very special occasion indeed. So thanks very much, Cormac, and safe home. How about yourself? Do you have any poems or rhymes that were composed about your family over the years? Do let us know because we'd love to hear from you. Remember... You can let your comments and go and check out Cormac's work at aletterfromireland.com forward slash two zero four. Slán. Just before we go, thanks again for listening. And if you've enjoyed today's Letter from Ireland show, we invite you to check out our special membership area called The Green Room. You can find full details of The Green Room at aletterfromireland.com forward slash greenroom. And remember there, Green Room is all one word. The Green Room is the essential resource for anyone at any stage in researching their Irish heritage. It's where we delve into all the good stuff to help you break down those brick walls and connect the pieces in your Irish ancestry puzzle. You get access to online genealogists, extensive research tools, quick win training, as well as member-only access to johngrenham.com and a supportive, active community to help you along the way with feedback and advice. The Green Room is the perfect place to be for anyone starting or continuing their Irish ancestry search. So do come and join us at aletterfromireland.com forward slash green well, that's it for me, and I'll be back next week with another installment of The Letter from Ireland show. Look forward to chatting with you then. Slán Corina.